Okay, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your faithfulness towards us, that you let us live another day, that you provide this church and your word for us and the guidance of your spirit, the spirit of your very son, to guide us and direct us and to help us do uh, supernatural things in our lives even, uh, things that we cannot do by ourselves, but with you we can do some wonderful things for your glory and your kingdom. And Father, right now we especially lift up Pastor Ed and Joey as they're still in India. We ask that you guide them and empower them to do your will and to touch as many people as possible. We also pray for those who are sick and not able to be with us tonight. We ask that you give them comfort and healing and also the right perspective about what's going on. Father, we ask that you bless this message, guide us and teach us by your spirit. And it's in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. All right, peace be with you, part three, as you can see. But first, we have another update from Pastor and Joey in India. So sit back here for a few minutes and let me read this email to you all. Uh, here's the first picture that was sent in the next uh, batch. And you can see um, Pastor and Joey with uh, different folks. This was from a nighttime meeting. So here's Pastor's email. To my dear congregation, we have continued in increasingly humbling circumstances here in India on behalf of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and in the most honest of ways on behalf of NCC. It has been wonderfully encouraging to see and witness to our brothers and sisters in Christ on the other side of the planet. Though our lives are worlds apart, separated not only by physical distances but by cultural as well, we have shared a fellowship that is undeniably attributed to the unity of our faith. I suppose one of the great blessings for me is to see and experience firsthand what I'm sharing with you, that true unity is found in Christ no matter where our travels may take us. Love transpires all things, my dear friends. This we are seeing. It's one thing to teach it and even to learn it inside the church. It's another to witness the word alive and active amongst the brethren. On Monday's day one pastor's conference, Joey and I got a good night's sleep uh, after that conference. We spent the next day driving into the main city, Vijawada, which is where the airport is. However, because of some uh, week-long Hindu celebration, the traffic was awful and it took us over an hour each way. Thank God for an air-conditioned car, as we saw most buses lacking this. And we even saw one man passed out and being dragged off the bus unconscious, presumably from heat exhaustion given that the temp was around 120 degrees and very humid. We did a little looking around at the main shopping mall and walked to a couple of sidewalk shops soaking in the culture. We pretty much stood out in every crowd, not seeing anyone else like us. People stared and kids on buses waved. We went to a Muslim-owned grocery store and the checkout guy that was, was giving me the evil eye and kept throwing our groceries with an attitude. LOL guess he didn't like us very much. By the way, for you non-computer people, LOL is laugh out loud. Never know. That night we drove about 45 minutes to a remote village where one of the pastors in attendance at the conference was hosting us. Madhava called it a slum. I had the privilege of teaching about spiritual gifts to a group of fervent believers in Christ, including many children and teens, as well as adults and pastors. On the board, you can see the picture of that evening meeting, nighttime meeting, with limited uh, lights. They served us a meal far beyond their means, reminding me of the Macedonians in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. Incredible. I, with your donations, gave them a sizable donation, and the pastor was completely shocked, not wanting to accept it at first. Want to guess who won that battle of wills? <laughs> Smiley face. The pictures of the outdoor meeting are of this night. That was the end of day, day two. 
Day three was reserved for the children's and youth conferences where I taught obedience and walking by the Spirit, respectively. respectfully. There were over 100 children, teens, and young adults gathered at the Mercy and Grace compound. So here's a picture of that meeting the next day. Pretty cool, huh? It was overwhelming at times, watching Madhava's and Nirmala's hearts bursting open with love. At the end of the lessons, after handing out new Bibles and a small monetary gift, we had the honor of hearing the testimonies and feedback on the event from several attendees. Needless to say, I got choked up, so humbled. We had an impromptu Bible study with Rajesh before bed. Rajesh, again, is uh, the son of Madhava. Um, yeah, another wonderful experience. Well, there's more to tell, but Scott's got a lesson to teach, so I'll stop for now. Forgive me for the long email, but my heart misses you all dearly, and I long to share our experiences with all of you, the ones who, through the love of Jesus and the providence of God, have made this trip possible. I thank you and love you. Until next time, you'll be in my prayers, and thank you in advance for the same. Loving Christ, Pastor. P.S. <laughs> it's always a P.S. These are the best parts, right? Oh, and Rajesh gave me the honor of naming his new puppy. I named him Samson as a memorial to Madhava's comment that Joey reminded him, him of Samson. <laughs> LOL. It may seem physically inconceivable, but I think Joey's head may have gotten even bigger. <laughs> LOL. Poor Joey. He's got a lot to answer for when he comes back, right? Remember Madhava called him beautiful? Anyway, uh, pretty awesome stuff, wonderful stuff. Um, continued prayers for Pastor and Joey. Uh, they only have a couple days left. They should be back on Sunday. And what a privilege it is for all of us to be part of sharing God's word and, and grace with people on the other side of the world that have the same heart for the Lord and his people. It really is like a, a, a hard thing to describe unless you experience it. And I've had the privilege of experiencing it in the past. Well, you go there and it's like, it's like not missing a beat. And it's like coming into this church and just being with people that are of the same mind and, you know, care about the Lord first. It's just amazing how the unity of the faith, you know, cuts right through uh, even cultural and language barriers. So let's keep them in prayer. And I'm sure uh, Pastor's going to be excited to share more with us next week. Let's jump back into our series, um, Peace Be With You, Part 3. So what we've already established in this series is the uniqueness of this greeting to the disciples and the possible reasons for it. On the board, regarding this phrase, Peace Be With You, the Lord had never said it this way before, and these were the very first words out of his mouth to the disciples after his resurrection. He greeted them with these words three different times. We've already seen this the last couple lessons in John 20, verse 19, 21, and 26. We also noted that his declaration of peace is connected with fulfilling the Great Commission, so don't underestimate this fact, which is going to come out more on Sunday, in John 20, 21. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So we see there is a connection between his peace and his mission for us as his disciples. In a way, the Lord is saying, share my peace with others as you go out. Carry my peace with you for your own benefit and strength, but also for others to enjoy. And really, that's what it's all about. And by the way, Scripture does refer to the gospel as the gospel of peace, which we'll get to coming up. So we're bringing to others the good news that they can have peace with God now and forever, despite their sins and failures. After all, wasn't that the good news that, that we were glad to hear one day when we finally accepted it? Whatever that day was for each of us is that God basically, in a nutshell, is offering us peace forever. 
through Christ. So first of all, God uh, or God's desire for us, his children, his followers, is that we all individually possess his peace. On the board, peace be with you. That we live in his peace is clearly one of our Lord's great desires for us. And now that it is finished, in John 19.30, we can truly rest in and live in the peace he's purchased for us. Everything changed at the cross and resurrection. Things were consummated. We've noted that the spiritual reality had changed at the cross. And because of the Lord's work, we can be set free by grace through faith in him. So we call this on Tuesday, Peace Made Possible. After the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, sin and death were officially and completely defeated and taken out of the way of man's relationship with God. Colossians 2.14. Turn again to Colossians 2.14. Again, because of the cross and the resurrection, peace was now made possible for all mankind. True and eternal peace, not just the hope of it. Colossians 2, let's start in verse 13. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So with our debt now removed, peace with God is truly possible for all who are willing to repent and trust in Christ. That's the only thing in the way of any man receiving God's peace. And because of the Lord's death, we can now inherit his blessings and promises, just like the heirs inherit blessings from a loved one's will. Because of his death, because of it being consummated, the promises that he himself made can be passed on. The blessings that he himself possessed and owned, even from the Father above could be passed on to us. In Hebrews 9, 16, and 17, one last time in the NIV, in the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it because a will is in force only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. So the thing we've been seeing, the first two lessons in the series is one of the major accomplishments from the Lord's death and resurrection was that we could now inherit true peace with God. It wasn't just to be talked about anymore like it was for thousands of years. And now after the resurrection, even Jesus himself was able to look back at his victory on the cross and officially um, probably very happily, declare ultimate peace to his followers. Even when he saw his disciples again for the first time and they appeared in the room in front of them and said, peace be with you. Can you imagine the satisfaction the Lord had for making it through, doing the Father's will completely and coming out on the other side, literally. And now everything's accomplished. He could declare ultimate peace to his followers. And ever since then, believers can look back to the cross and claim victory through Christ, claiming peace with God forever by grace through faith in Him. And a main emphasis that's also come out in these first two lessons that I've kind of heard from the Spirit is Ephesians 2.14a, for He Himself is our peace. He Himself is our peace. In other words, his peace isn't just an idea or a concept. It's actually him. It's only found in him, in his actual person. And when we rely on him and his presence with us, one day at a time, that's when we experience his peace. 
So I think we have to be on guard for trying to attain it ourselves and trying to um, almost figure out it, what his peace is, if you know what I mean, or, or overly define it, let's say. How about seeing his peace being him himself, his person? That's the only place to find it. And don't forget, we now have an access to God that wasn't available before the cross. So transitioning now, uh, as has come up the last couple lessons, lessons, the only thing that stands in the way of us and God's peace is us. We're the problem, so to speak. And the way we live our lives and the things we hold on to, it reflects our hearts. It reflects the doubts or insecurities, the lack of faith we have. We can see it in the areas of our lives that we cling to. And I just read this this morning and thought it appropriate on the board in Proverbs 27:19 in the NIV. As water reflects a face, so a man's heart reflects the man. Think of yourself looking in a pond, right, down at the water, and you can see a face almost perfectly. As water reflects a face, so a man's heart reflects the man. Will we have faith in our hearts in his peace being fully accomplished for us? Will we live in that fully accomplished fact? Will we walk and live as though he's right by our side every step of the way or not? We talked about on Sunday receiving his peace. We often keep our eyes of faith closed or just squinting through to take a peek, not fully trusting. But the Lord wants us to embrace his peace, his peace with eyes wide open. Maybe with the faith of a child. Our access to God is now wide open, without hindrance. That's why we're told to do things like boldly approach the throne of grace. There's nothing in the way anymore of your relationship with God. Once you have Christ. And he wants us to experience his peace each and every day through his Holy Spirit that he's provided for us. We noted on Tuesday that the Lord didn't just leave his disciples high and dry, not then and not for the 2,000 years since then. So on the board, regarding receiving his peace, he gave us his very own spirit to be with us every day, to be at our side, he himself being our peace. Now blend these concepts together, okay? Again, he gave us his very own spirit to be with us every day, to be at our side, he himself being our peace. John 14, 16 through 18, and 25 through 27, Romans 8, 9 through 11, and 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. Turn again to John 14, verse 16, and when I say blend these things together, there's several points right there in that one point on the board, which we've kind of been discussing the last couple days. And there's a lot of like merging going on. There's a lot of oneness going on. So just keep that in mind. Uh, John 14, 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. So we mentioned on Tuesday how this was actually a prophetic statement. The Lord was speaking to the disciples before the cross, telling them he would be with them after the cross too, but really in a different form. Remember, he and the Spirit are one and the same God, as is the Father above. 
believers have been given the Holy Spirit, which is actually the Spirit of Christ himself. As a reminder of this perfect unity, which is not fully understandable by us, it won't be fully grasped by us in this life, but as a reminder of this perfect unity, let's read a couple passages that we went to months ago about the Spirit of Christ. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Romans 8, verse 9. And this should also increase your peace. Your awareness that Jesus himself is with you and in you every day. I don't know about you, but that, that, that is more um, uh, helpful to me. To picture Jesus himself with me or in me. You know, I can relate to him, right, as a man, because he became one of us. So, you know, let that help you. Uh, let this verse help you and increase your peace. And I want you to notice as we read how the Spirit is interchangeably called God's Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, and the Holy Spirit. God truly is three persons in one. He possesses complete and total unity, which we cannot fully understand. Romans 8, 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Notice four different ways the Spirit is named in this passage. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, and His Spirit. Go to 1 Peter 1, verse 10. And while you turn there, again, look at the point on the board. He gave us His very own Spirit to be with us every day, to be at our side, he himself being our peace. 1 Peter 1, verse 10. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. This tells us the Old Testament prophets, before Christ even became a man, he was with them in spirit form, inspiring them. Again, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ are one. Again, verse 11, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So, see what the Spirit's saying to you about this unity, because it's a supernatural thing that we just read, and I don't know what else to say about it, because it really is incomprehensible in our own minds. But hopefully this gives us even more peace, that Jesus himself is with us and in us. On the board, Jesus' death grants us peace. Our Lord and Savior and substitute walks with us every day as our resurrected King. We saw this in Psalm 16, 8 through 11, and 18:35. Even David knew this, looking forward to the Christ coming. He had this confidence. What we emphasized on Sunday was this regarding a life of peace. It's a daily opportunity. 
The Lord wants us to know we can't do this without him ever. So he's designed life so that a daily reliance on him is needed to experience his peace. That's how he designed life. And this is part of our sanctification. We have to go through this experience. We have to go through this journey to learn, to see, to grow, to, to put aside the flesh, to live in the spirit and bring him glory. We have to go through this day-by-day journey and this uh, experiment, if you will, to experience his peace, to experience his peace despite ourselves, despite our flesh, despite the world and the devil. And all the glory goes to God, obviously. It, on, it, it can only go to him because we can't do this. But through submission and surrender and humility, we can have this life of peace one day at a time. And we saw the analogy to the Jews in the desert being given food directly from God, but only enough food for one day at a time. So the Spirit gave us another important point regarding our daily bread. We can't live off of yesterday's spiritual food, yesterday's Bible reading, or yesterday's Bible lesson. Our soul needs fresh spiritual food and nutrition every day just as God designed our bodies to need food daily. And our example was Exodus 16, 14 through 21. And in our Bible study last night, we had some great conversations. Um, Tammy had mentioned how yesterday's food was for yesterday. You know, it's a small, subtle point, but yesterday's food, it was meant for yesterday. Right? It was meant to feed you and give you nutrition yesterday. It's not meant for today. And then today you're given new food, meant for today. Just like we know the Holy Spirit speaks to us all the time, right? As we read our Bibles, or we hear exactly what we needed to hear for what we're going through that same day. So it's um, having the right perspective on this. We need His daily bread. Or we become spiritually you know, starving. Even if it's just a short Bible reading in the morning, you are allowing God to speak to you that day through his word. And you can gather his message for you for that day to live by. Just like they gathered manna manna in the wilderness, right? Just one day at a time. And this daily spiritual food, this daily communion with God, through his word, is what brings his peace to our hearts. Both his word and his spirit. As Jesus said, you must worship him in spirit and truth. In John 4, 24. That's the daily journey. The daily bread is needed for the spirit to use and teach you with. So it's his word that sustains us and gives us peace. And it's meant to be in one day at a time. Otherwise, we'd explode. Literally and figuratively. Now think about this for a minute. God gives us all these analogies in life, right? Through the physical things in life. Through family relationships. I mean, everything in life is built to teach us and give us pictures of spiritual realities. So... (laughs) Picture yourself trying to eat enough food today for five days. Good luck with that. You literally will explode or whatever will happen to you. God only knows. You can't do it. You can't do it. It's impossible. We can't be like camels that drink a ton of water so they can last, whatever, 30 days in the desert. That's not how God built us. And so spiritually, it's the same exact thing. We can't take in... If you go home and try to read half the Bible tonight, there's going to be limited benefit to that. You can't absorb it all. You can't take it all in. You're not giving the spirit time even to show you what you need to know today in this 24-hour period. So, you know, look at those analogies as um, helpful teaching aids. The Word sustains us and gives us peace but it's meant to be eaten one day at a time. Even in small bits, that's fine. 
And maybe this is why the Lord said what he did in Matthew 6. Uh, turn again to Matthew 6, 25. He had to remind us, he had to remind his disciples, will you stop looking towards tomorrow? Will you stop worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow? You might not even be here tomorrow. Today might even be your last day. And what's the opposite of peace? Worry or anxiety. What does worry or, anxi or anxiety usually involve? What's coming in the future, right? Tomorrow. So that's what the Lord's battling. And as we read this, again, I want you to picture Jesus Christ, the King of glory, walking by your side in a field, teaching you himself, pointing out these different things to you in this passage. Matthew 6, 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. And if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So as a reminder, we are to work hard. We are to do the right things on a daily basis. Each day that we wake up and go forward and do what we should be doing. Live in our responsibilities. We are to do all those things, right? The one thing we're not to do is worry about the results. And that's actually a personal thing that I've uh, struggled with recently even. Um, um, combining the fact that we're told to work hard, right? We're told to be disciplined, to do the right thing, to follow God's word. But at the same time that we do that, we can't worry about the results. God's like, I got the results. You know, you know I'm going to give you what you need at least. So this is what... The point was of the Lord, I think, in this passage. And again, verse 34. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Read your Bible passage for today and take that personally from the Holy Spirit. What are you saying to me today, Lord? Today. Take in the Bible lesson today. What are you saying to me, Lord? This is my food for today. What's your message? What's your point? Do you want me to act on anything immediately? So it's this attitude of day-to-day -day that, we, that we need to develop, and that's how we gain is peace. And it can only be gained one day at a time by doing these good things. So we're to trust God for all the provisions. So long as we follow him, he promises to provide for our needs. So don't worry. Believers aren't to worry about the results. That's God's responsibility. We're just worried about obeying God. So I think the Lord here is saying, step back and see the big picture. Don't keep your eyes on the problems right in front of you or the problems of tomorrow. He's saying, I've got your back. You know I'm going to provide for you. Look, I provide for all these lesser things than you. Don't you think you're more important than the birds and the grass? Step back. God's here with you by your side. He's going to provide what you need day to day.
That's what's going to give us peace. And he'll do it piece by piece. Again on the board. A little at a time. We need to go to the Lord one day at a time in humility if we want to enjoy his peace. You can't store it up today, folks. You can't memorize tonight's lesson and say, I'll come back next Thursday because I definitely could milk this thing I just memorized for the next six days. It doesn't work that way. The Lord, out of his great love for us, will not allow us experience, to experience his peace unless we follow him. John 10, 27 through 30, and Philippians 4, 6 through 7. And we saw how to approach God daily for his grace and mercy. We also saw this in Hebrews 4. And let's turn to Hebrews 4, verse 12. And here we see in this passage, in context, a reminder that the word is our daily food as well as the fact that we need to approach the Lord daily to his throne for grace and mercy. All in context. Look at Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So here we see this daily cycle or function going on, involving both the word and prayer approaching him, approaching his throne of grace boldly each and every day. He is our peace, and he's opened up the floodgates to our God and Father. On Sunday, we saw what made this actual peace with God possible. Again, regarding righteousness and peace. The believer now has peace with God. He's right with God, a.k.a. righteous, by the blood of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Because of Christ's victory at the cross and in resurrection, righteousness and peace have now kissed each other, as stated in Psalm 85, verse 10. So that's why... If you're a believer, peace be with you. It's been accomplished. It's been finished. You have been reconciled to God. And as a believer, you received his reconciliation. Think about that statement. You've been reconciled to God. And as a believer, you've received his reconciliation. On the board, reconciliation means we now have peace with God through his son we have this peace because God, by grace, has made us righteous by his blood. So we're going to look at this a little bit more regarding reconciliation and peace be with you. We now have a position of peace with God, and this position of peace has purchased for us the opportunity to live by and enjoy his peace every day. So this is why... After the resurrection and ascension of Christ, even the disciples started to greet each other in peace. In grace and peace, very often was the term. Uh, turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians 3.16, and let's just see an example of this. Because again, remember, in the New Testament letters, now they're able to look back at the cross. Paul was able to look back at the cross and say, it's finished, it's totally finished. This, uh, this relationship, this peace has been established. And in a, in a way, that's what it's all about. 2 Thessalonians 3.16. Paul writes, Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. 
May the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. So changing gears a bit, the Spirit's message in this series is also to change our perspective about his peace. And we're going to get into this a little bit more on Sunday. Look at his peace, the very peace of Christ, as a weapon in your life. It's really what it is. It's a spiritual weapon. It's the very means and power by which you're enabled to live life and enabled to spread the gospel. It's the very means and power by which you can live in the gospel reality. His peace. He himself being our peace. <clears throat> On the board. His peace is a spiritual weapon of great import. He designed it that way so that his plan cannot be fulfilled by our own will or power, but by standing in his peace, as in Ephesians 6. So to God be all the glory. It's the only way we can do it. If we receive his peace and we use it as a weapon, his peace can sustain us no matter what we're asked to go through in this world. Do you believe that? Do you have that attitude? Even if you don't um, always apply it, even if you don't always um, successfully live in his peace, no matter what you're going through, do you believe that? Can you see it? And I want to give you an example. One time Jesus said to his disciples on the board in John 4.32, I have food to eat that you do not know about. I have food to eat that you do not know about. The disciples were talking about physical food and asked Jesus if he ate yet. And Jesus didn't really answer him directly. He said, I have food to eat you do not know about. What did he mean? He had such peace and communion with his heavenly father. His father sustained him and gave him power each and every day, despite lack of physical food even. Do you remember when the Lord went for 40 days in the desert being tested by the devil and didn't eat? I have food to eat that you do not know about. You can say that too. We can say that as believers. In this world, we might be persecuted out there one day. We might be in a position where we can't eat all day long. We're in the heat. Uh, we're being persecuted or quote-unquote cornered by others for Christ's sake in some way, and guess what? The Lord will sustain you with his peace. All you got to do is ask him. You do have food to eat you don't even know about. Remember Philippians 4, 7? It's called the peace that surpasses all comprehension. We have access, access to that peace by faith. So this is what the Spirit wants us to see and believe. We don't need worldly sustenance or worldly peace. On the board, his peace sustains us. By faith, we can transcend the details in this world and have his peace sustain us in any circumstance, as in John 4.32. Again, his peace sustains us. By faith, we can transcend the details in this world, and have his peace sustain us in any circumstance. Do you believe that? Because it's true. And in this way, his peace is a weapon for us. As we go forward with him, not only through life's battles, but also as we go forward and spread the gospel of peace. So we'll see more about that on Sunday. Before we get into more about this spiritual weapon that we have. Let's build a foundation in our souls a little bit with his reconciliation. Turn back in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 5, 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. You've got to know what you're delivering. If you're delivering a package, you want to be able to describe it and Explain it to people. 
especially those that can't understand spiritual things, right? So this is not only understanding the reconciliation you've received as a believer, this is also understanding what the message is as part of giving the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What did he give us? A ministry of reconciliation. In other words, it's not just about you receiving reconciliation at the point of salvation. It's about a ministry that's being passed on like a torch. Verse 18 again, Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, what are we? Ambassadors for Christ. Who would have thought? You mean we're supposed to go out? Go out and make disciples? I guess. That's what an ambassador means. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So once, once you receive the, righteous, uh, or the reconciliation of God by grace through faith in Christ, you're changed. Now you go on the other side. You see, you're no longer the one who Paul's begging to receive reconciliation. Now you become an ambassador with Paul, and you're on the other side. And we're, this, we're carrying this message along with us of reconciliation. Now, in this passage, you can see um, reconciled, and reconciliation is mentioned here at least five times, that word or a similar word. The Greek words for reconciliation in this passage mean to change mutually or to exchange. To change mutually or to exchange. In other words, there are two parties involved in reconciliation or in coming to a peace treaty. It's undeniable. So on the board regarding reconciliation, our Lord paid our price for sin and extended the olive branch to mankind, despite our guilt and unworthiness. For example, Romans 5.10. Really, the whole Bible's about this. But just as one example, Romans 5.10. Again, our Lord paid our price for sin and extended the olive branch to mankind, despite our guilt and unworthiness. Man's part is repentance and faith in Christ. He must turn in his heart from sin and self, and accept the offer of peace from his Maker and Savior. That's reconciliation, and that's two parties that are involved in reconciliation always if a peace treaty is going to be struck, so to speak. And for example, we see uh, Acts 20, verse 21, to illustrate man's part in receiving the peace offering from God. So again, I think this is a really important point. Um, our Lord paid our price for sin and extended the olive branch to mankind despite our guilt and unworthiness, Romans 5.10. Man's part is repentance and faith in Christ. He must turn in his heart from sin and self and accept the offer of peace from his Maker and Savior, Acts 20.21. If the terms of a peace treaty are not accepted, even though the offer is made, then there's no peace established between the two parties. That's what free will and faith is all about. God, to be clear, His offer of peace is complete and total through Christ's atoning blood. He hasn't left anything out. He hasn't, he hasn't said... Um, you know, he left any contingencies in the offer of peace. 
He's like, this is a free offer. I paid the full price. Here's the olive branch. All you got to do is accept it. All you've got to do is sign the peace treaty. So God's not holding back at all from a true offering of peace. On the board regarding reconciliation, it's man's pride that is really the only thing that stands in the way of God's wonderful offer of peace from being consummated. Talking about in an individual person's life. And if you want some evidence for that, just go read Romans 1. Man's pride is really the only thing that stands in the way of God's wonderful offer of peace from being consummated. This is kind of what makes it so sad sometimes as we spread the gospel and we see people reject it or get arrogant towards God, you know, and be like, yeah, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. I'm a good person. I think I'll do all right when I meet him. That's what makes it so sad because you know the only thing standing in the way of them having complete and total peace and eternal life is pride. But it's part of the spiritual battle. And we all were there at one point, right? Every single one of us were there at one point. It's God's timing. So we'd be objective a little bit, step back a little bit, realize this is God's responsibility and only God can convict the heart. But each man and woman must come to their own decision to either reject God's offer of peace in pride or accept it gratefully in humility. The offering is there. Man must be willing to say, I'm a sinner and I can't do this by myself. You see how sin and self both have to be turned from and the whole idea of repentance? You know, number one, I know I am a sinner. And number two, myself isn't sufficient. I can't do this myself. I can't make it up to God. The ways of myself are often ugly even and insufficient. So Paul, in verse 20, begs us on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. That's the only missing piece. The peace offering, full and total and free. The only missing piece, if man accepts it or not. On the board in Hebrews 9, 27 and 28, actually, it says, inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. So Christ also, having been offered once for the, to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin. To who? To those who eagerly await him. That's believers, folks. That's people that accepted the peace offering in their heart, in humility. So the second time, believers receive salvation. But those who rejected the peace offering, they die once and then comes judgment. That's just the way it is because God will not violate anybody's free will. So as we close, we also read in this chapter, Hebrews 9, on Sunday. And we read about how the animal sacrifices commanded of the Old Testament Jews were a temporary covering for sin. The blood of the animals was a temporary covering for man's sin. And that was just a shadow of the things to come, namely Christ as the final sacrifice, as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Those who obeyed the commands in the Old Testament to make sacrifices for sin were given peace with God by faith. They were given peace with God, looking forward to the ultimate price to be paid one day by Christ himself on the cross. In fact, one of the Old Testament sacrifices in the book of Leviticus was known as the peace offering. So on the board, regarding God's provision of salvation, the whole idea was that God was offering peace to sinful mankind. And blood had to be shed as a payment for sin. And by grace, through faith, man could accept God's offer of peace on God term, God's terms only. 
because he was the innocent or offended party. God wasn't the one that needed forgiveness. We were, right? God was the one offering forgiveness, even though he was completely and totally wronged by man. So again, regarding God's provision of salvation or, or God's offer of peace, the whole idea was that God was offering peace to sinful man and blood had to be shed as a payment for sin. And by grace through faith, man could accept God's offer of peace on God's terms only, he being the innocent or offended party. So as we close, let's see a couple more passages on this reconciliation. And remember the two parties involved that are necessary to come to an agreement because that's really what it is. It's a peace treaty or an agreement. Go to Romans 5, verse 1. You know, if you want to look at like a worldly example, imagine like King Solomon in his day, right, who had it all. He didn't even need to go to war once in his whole tenure as king. And King Solomon, most wisdom, most powerful nation in the world at the time, Israel, Countries were coming to him, bowing down to him. Kings were coming to him. Queens were coming to him, bowing down to him, praising him and praising his God, right? And now picture a little nation near Israel offending Israel, stealing their cattle, um, you know, crossing their borders, whatever, hurting their people. And Solomon goes up to them with his, let's just, Again, worldly example. He's got a million people in his army. And that little nation that did that stupid offense against the king, Solomon, has 100,000, 10,000. But Solomon, in his grace and mercy, goes up to that king and says, you know what? You really shouldn't have done that. But I'm not going to use my power against you. I'm going to offer you peace. Right? Free and clear right now. You know, do you repent? Do you believe in my offer of peace? If so, we're good. I'll wipe it all, that all away. Isn't that what God did for us? On a grander scale? So look at Romans 5.1 as we close. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Notice, believers have received the reconciliation, right? They've repented. They've, by faith, accepted the peace offering. They received it, even though they didn't deserve it or earn it or do anything to pay for it. So on the board, receiving reconciliation. When we witness to people, we're actually encouraging people to accept God's offer of peace and total forgiveness through Christ. We're carrying that torch, if you will. We're carrying the message, that peace offering. We're sharing the very reconciliation we received with others, telling them to receive it too. Isn't that simple? And maybe that's a part of the gospel or a perspective in giving the gospel that we need to uh, input as we spread the gospel. The peace offering. Do you realize what is being offered to you? You know, do you realize you're a sinner, first of all? Do you realize he's, or he's offering you complete and total forgiveness, even though you've offended him? So that's one way to think about it, folks. Receiving reconciliation. Uh, as a believer, you've already received it. Now pass it on. When we witness to people, we're actually encouraging people to accept God's offer of peace 
and total forgiveness through Christ. Amen? All right, we'll continue with this on Sunday morning. Father, we thank you so much again for this wonderful time together as your children. We thank you for the unity of the faith. We thank you for your Holy Spirit and your word teaching us and mentoring us. And Father, help us take today's meal, today's spiritual nutrition, and help us understand it. Help us personalize it and even bring it out to others piece by piece so that others can eat of this fabulous meal you've offered us. We thank you for your grace and mercy and for your power and for your peace. We ask these things in Christ's precious name and by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen.